Hey, everybody, this is another edition of the Fab Four Free For All. Yay! Yay! And welcome to another exciting live, not live, edition of the Fab Four Free-For-All. Yes, Rob, I said the, just for you. Um, well, it's live when we do it. Yes, it is live when we do it. But then by the time it gets to everybody else, it's pretty much dead. Uh, so uh, this is Mitch Axelrod, your moderator for today's exciting show. And joining me today are my co-hosts. Rob Leonard. And Tony Chirardo. And we have a special guest on the phone. Yay. Be quiet. You don't even know I'm who happy. he is. He's on our show again. You don't even know who it is. It's a surprise. It's my Uncle Sam. <laughs> Your Uncle Sam? <laughs> yes. You didn't know that? Is that uh, is yes, it's a government thing. <laughs> it's a government <laughs> Yes, he's part of the FBI. Okay. Now, joining us on the phone today, because uh, we asked him and the check cleared, <laughs> is someone that we've had on the show before, someone that you all know and, and I, I think you like. Um, or you have until about a year ago. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> sorry. <Wait a> minute. <laughs> I'm hey, sorry. That, that way he's going to leave. Okay. No, well, that, that, that would actually make it a, a bad show because we're still on it. Right. But joining us on the phone is author, columnist, fellow podcaster, Alan Cozen. Yay. Yay. Hey, guys. How are you, Alan? Hello, Alan. Great. Good. Good to be back on this show. And uh, let's see where you know, if you say that in about an hour. So, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or about ten minutes, however long the show goes. Uh, well, then but, I'll just go back into the witness protection program as your Uncle Sam. <laughs> <laughs> My Uncle Sam was 104 when he died last year. So let's hope you uh, you last that God long as well. well. God bless him. Is anyway, right. So okay. anyway, today uh, Alan's joining us because we like him. But Alan is a Beatles expert, just like we call ourselves our so-called Beatles experts that we say we are, but Alan truly is, and we are going to be talking about a release that, as of this taping, came out one day prior to this taping on September 9th, 2016, and it is called Live at the Hollywood Bowl, and it is the Beatles, even though the cover you can never really tell. Um, but I thought that's it was okay. the Beatles Live at the Hollywood Bowl. No, it says Live at the Hollywood Bowl. We're going to okay. go into a little bit of packaging as well, because uh, let's talk about the 1977 release. Uh, by the way, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go against my own will and say that Alan is part of a podcast called Things We Said Today mm -hmm. with uh, Steve Marinucci, who you all probably know and love, with Al Sussman, the former curmudgeon's corner guy from yep, us, and, and a first-generation Beatle fan, also an author. Well, also uh, contributed to Beatle Fan Magazine. Correct. Uh, and Steve has many credentials right. as well, it would, and our former co-host, uh, Ken Michaels. That's right. So, you know, three out of four in bed. So, um, <laughs> Hi, no, I'm, Ken. I'm kidding. Up, Ken? Come on. I kid, I kid, because I love. I love to kid. <laughs> so, let's talk about a little bit the 77 release. We never covered it on this show, but we oh. should go back just a little bit, nothing major on it, but we should talk about really what it was. Uh, it was an album comprised of uh, what George Martin said was the best of three different shows in 64 and 65. Now, if we, I don't know if we want to take the moment to go back even further, and uh, you know, you guys can throw things at me if you, if you think, but the whole Be Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl idea started off Way back yes, at, at the origin of the concert, yeah. So yes, they were taping, right, right, and so, then it wasn't deemed good enough to release. They actually, if you think about it, it starts at Carnegie Hall. The capital, oh, yes. capital couldn't get the AFM to agree to 
allow the recording. Now, I was just thinking about this last night. Just to let folks in other countries know what the AFM is. Oh, American Federation of Musicians. They have to approve or did have to approve of live concert recordings. Now, the funny thing is... Well, mainly, they, I think they also... Their issue was that the Beatles were foreign. And they were apparently afraid that the Beatles would be taking away jobs from Americans who, I guess, would be the Beatles if the Beatles weren't the Beatles. Beatles. (laughs) It kind of didn't make a lot of sense, you know. But but that was it. It was sort of a protectionism kind of move. The the thing I thought about last night, though, when I was doing my show, why couldn't they just record it and then get figure out the paperwork later on? Why couldn't they have done that? They they never did Exactly. You know, I have a contract that uh, Carnegie Hall's archivist gave me between Carnegie Hall and Capitol. And it's interesting because Carnegie was charging them a mere $300 to do the the recording. I feel like, you know, I should go back in time, (laughs) fork over the 300, (laughs) record the thing myself, you know? (laughs) But, (laughs) but, uh, you know, and I, I had asked Brown Meggs once. Brown Meggs was president of Capitol at the time. And he insisted that it was recorded. But I think it, that was just faulty memory because there is, you know, Mark Lewis and has been all through the archives, both here in L.A. Uh, sorry, in London and in L.A. And, right. and, and hasn't found any evidence of I, tape. I will so. tell you right now, if it was recorded, Purple Chick would have found it. Probably. <laughs> right. Or a certain dog would have unearthed it. But. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the original idea, again, was that they were going to put out a live album. Didn't they put out the Beatles story instead? Yes, that was basically part of it. Yeah, yeah but I mean, which we might want to add did have one cut, twist and shout, twist and shout from the original mono acetate. Has there ever been any physical evidence of that acetate? Do you um, know, Alan? Not really, except that the original Hollywood Bowl bootleg of the 64 show, which was one of the very first bootlegs ever to hit Appear. the market in the early to mid-70s, yeah. is supposed to have been taken from that acetate. So. And you do hear, even on the cleanest pressings of the bootleg, you do indeed hear what obviously sounds like a, a needle drop. You do uh-huh. hear record noise or acetate noise yeah. Yeah. at times in the background. Even if it's not your pressing, so which you maybe know. is why they only had forty-eight seconds of it on the disc. Well, no, no, but in other words, where I'm going is what Alan's talking about. Those early bootleg vinyl recordings from like seventy-three. Oh, oh. You could oh, hear uh, like uh, what oh, sounds okay. like okay. I thought like you about the record story. noise underneath oh, okay. the bootleg audio. Oh, okay. So meaning that's probably an acetate or so. You know, on the live recording question, you can go back even further. I, I mentioned this. I, I reviewed the album in the Wall Street Journal this week, and I mentioned that. The idea of recording the Beatles live goes all the way back to when George Martin signed them and sort of thought about the idea of, of recording them in the cavern. That's until right. he, I guess, got a load of the cavern. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, wait, wait, wait. I could, you could take that a couple of ways. <laughs> no, but he's right. You, know, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't record anything good in there. It's going to bounce all over yeah. the place. Some yeah. of the guys sounded pretty good. By chance. <laughs> True. Yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah, some of the guys yeah. did sound inter- sound pretty decent. Yeah, yeah so he might. It did. And you would Anyway, you wouldn't have had an audience sounding like a jet engine too if you'd done it at the. That's at true. The, at yeah, the I mean, he should have, like, like you say about the the Carnegie show, they should have given it a try and had the tapes in the archives and then figured out what to do with them. Sure, yeah. sure. And then Paul would have bought them and and, and sequestered them forever. So, I mean. but you know, <laughs> interestingly enough, doing like Beatles live and and you know, okay, you got the Bowl album, but you know, we're also kind of leaving out the idea that okay, there's no audience, but. 
we have been gifted with so much Beatles live music in the last handful of years because of the BBC releases. Uh, you know, yes. so it's, it's, yes, it's different. There's no audience. There's none of that to feed off of. And they had a of. chance to go back and if they, you know, I mean, I know they were doing it live, but in some cases they had a chance to they overdub. They multiple and, takes, but there's yeah. very little, I mean, there's maybe on those four CDs that are out. Yes, but there's you, like a handful of overdubs. But they also had a chance to tune in between. Yep, and, absolutely. And hear know. each other. And hear each other. <laughs> yeah. but the, Which is the huge difference between... But the BBC you know. Live stuff, when they were in like a theater, does have a different feel than when they're just in the B, a regular yes. BBC studio, and, which is a nice thing to have because it, it like some other guy is a, from a theater, I believe. It is. Yeah, yeah and like yeah. I'll get you. Yeah, and, so there's, well, there's some good stuff there that where they they didn't stop. There was full throttle yeah. performing. Yeah. And, and also... Don't forget that, uh, you know, Giles just came out doing a whole bunch of interviews. We, we happened to get him on the show, too. But he said, he told someone um, recently that it was like the Beatles, if we were wearing earphones or earplugs, right. all four of us, I mean, you know, if we were playing live, wearing earplugs, having no monitors to hear ourselves and looking at each other and having 15,000 screaming girls, you know, could we play? We probably could. It wouldn't just sound good. And it's a testament to the Beatles that there is even recordings that sound this good to remix or demix and whatever, which we'll get to. So it's a big thing, at least in, in their catalog, that this is a the only live album. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, I also mentioned in my journal piece that there were no stage monitors. And I don't know if, you know, you guys play instruments and if you've been in bands. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I only had this experience once, but playing in an auditorium, back when I was playing, I was doing mostly acoustic stuff. But the one time I did something with a band, we had no stage monitors and we also had not you know, like rehearsed. <laughs> so <laughs> we did this concert and I stepped up to the mic and, you know, behind us are, you know, the amps blasting out the stuff. And I started singing and could not hear myself singing at all because the instruments were yeah. kind of loud until when I finally heard myself was like half a second later when it came bouncing back off the back wall of the auditorium. It was incredibly disorienting. And yeah. that oh, experience yeah. has given me such an appreciation of the Beatles performing live. I mean, not just on the Hollywood Bowl, but we all have heard all of the bootlegs of recordings over the years. And, you know, except for 66 when they just didn't care and got sloppy. <laughs> the fact that they were able to sing together, to harmonize, to play it, you know, be in the same place at the same time is just incredible under those conditions. Oh, I mean, the harmonies so. are, are scary. I mean, I, you know, for yeah. years playing in a band, we used to do Paperback Writer, and before we'd start Paperback Writer, there'd be this, like, moment of zen where the three vocalists up front would all just kind of gather, you know, turn our backs to the crowd for a tenth of a second, lean into each other, and all do our yeah. start notes. Yeah, because God knows you have to. Because first of all, you're starting cold. You've got nothing marking a note for you to start, and it's well, tough. The, the other thing that I was thinking about the Beatles and their live shows is that they always had their positions on stage, and you think if they couldn't hear themselves, they would like gather in the middle. Sure, so they could yeah. hear themselves being next to each other. Though it would look funny watching it, them standing like right in the middle, right, right, right yeah. next to each other. But imagine now we're talking about Hollywood Bowl, and it sounds like a jet engine. That's yeah. 15,000. Yeah. Imagine times four for Shea. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. And you don't realize, you know, this sounds like Shea, <laughs> the, yeah. the crowd. But yeah. I mean, 
Can you imagine 60,000 yeah. people? Or as George said, you know, whatever, I think there were 275,000 yeah. in the anthology, yeah. I think, whatever he said. But it's a testament to them that they could even pull it off. When they have the opportunity to be standing across from each other at the one mic, right. you know, with Paul being lefty, it also looked really cool, yeah. too. <laughs> but it's those times of being at the one mic where, you know, that's the only opportunity they probably had to catch up with themselves with harmony. Yeah, but then like, Ringo's in the back, he said, watching their ass. Reading. I mean, well, yeah. well, lip well, reading, well, Ringo always yeah. said. Yeah, or ass reading. Yeah, ass reading, well, yeah. The, the other thing, <laughs> that, the, well, ass reading, no. <laughs> it's a little tougher in Braille. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> if you're ass reading. If you're ass reading, right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, one, we, we, we just got a we got a reaction from we, we did veer off from 1977. <laughs> we did, yeah, we veered off a lot. Yeah, I, I, I think there's something pertinent to be said about the 1977 one, which is if you read Martin's liner notes, which are reproduced in the new one too, you kind of can see that while he does towards the end of the note get you know enthusiastic about the Beatles live and the energy and the sound of youth of the time and all that, the, yeah. you, you can tell also that he's approaching this project a little bit grudgingly. It's like he didn't like these recordings that much. He didn't like them technically, and he also felt that you know, since the Beatles' live versions were so close to their studio versions, what's to be gained, you know, in his view, by putting out live ones that are under less controlled conditions? I think we can see what's to be gained. I mean, there is an excitement there. Well, um, part of it was is that George Martin had his own company then, and, you know, he made a little more money than if he was just a still a producer you mean by 77 yeah you know he air yeah, studios true, right, so he right. it was like okay well maybe. it was a work for hire you're yeah, saying it's a work for hire right so. interesting yeah okay so yeah. all right so the the 77 release well i just want to say one more thing before we jump into this yes colombo well no that would be at the end of the show sorry one thing we have to give credit to is Capitol Records for actually thinking to record 64 and 65 shows, because obviously EMI never recorded an official show of the Beatles live, and they did, and I wish they had done Dodger Stadium, because it was still in Los Angeles. I never understood why they didn't do it in 66, but thank you, Capitol Records, you know, how many times you say that? <laughs> but not uh, many. But they said, "Okay, we're going to record it." You know, then that was a good thing. But if I could kind of ask about a live white elephant in the room, other shows from '64 and '65 were done as radio broadcast, radio broadcasts. Indiana, I so in, Indian, Indianapolis, Indianapolis State Fair, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Toronto. No, Toronto was '66. No, Toronto was '60. Vancouver, was Vancouver was '64. Right, right, right. I knew there was a Canadian show also. So, and then there were Dallas in 65. That's right. Uh, I kind of wonder whether a lot of those shows were actually broadcast or whether someone from a radio station just tapped in and recorded the thing and put it in the station archives. And uh, well, last... I don't know. Do you hear about a lot of broadcasts of complete Beatles shows? True, but you don't ever hear the. Well, we had it last year. We had what the Indianapolis one they played on for the fiftieth anniversary. But they They found out that wasn't the the right show. Yeah, it was like wasn't it Philly or something? Yeah, that was one of the problems. A couple of months ago, there was something on YouTube where Gary Bear from WMCA in nineteen sixty five is doing a song by song replay of the show as it was happening at Chase Stadium. But of course, they got songs wrong. They like said, "Well, they, they just played I Need You." And they're like, "No, they didn't." <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre. But yeah, so yeah. But, so maybe that's where some of these tapes come from. Some of these DJs who were actually there. And, but what and, gets me that they, they hooked are, in, which yeah, but something are, Brian Epstein was very against. I guess, but I mean, but they were still line feeds. So it's the, and now we've just found out from Nigel Sinclair that they found a complete board of a Sweden show. Yeah. So I mean, you know. 
If you knew along the... Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, but right. if you so knew anyway. you had that stuff, anyway. Anyway, so 77 had 13 songs. We're not going to go crazy. You know, the intros were cut from the boots horribly. That was George Martin's decision. The placement of the songs, which we'll get to for the, the new release, because we should mention it there. The placement of the songs was a little odd, considering Help uh, and then She Loves You referenced uh, last year. And it's not last year, it's two years ago, so... You know, it was a mishmash of three shows, but it still was the only live stuff we had. And it came out, and in the States it went to number two, and I believe it went to number one in the UK. It did. And it was voted like the 26th best album of the year in um, 1977. So By, by people who are deaf. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> by, by TWA. Um, right, by TWA. So let's cut to the chase. Well, not 2016. 2012. The Beatles... Start working on Hollywood Bowl, Giles said. Again, they now find new technology to demix mono where you can separate tracks. And they say, hey, let's see if we can work on the Hollywood Bowl. And then subsequently they find brand new three tracks. I don't know where they found brand new three tracks, but whatever. I think it was in me closet. Yeah, it was. And so now they decide they're gonna. They knew that there was a subsequent release for the Beatles touring years by Ron Howard to come out. So they decide to work on some live stuff. Now, the one thing I will say is that from all accounts, and Alan, you can stop me if I'm incorrect, but I've heard now from a lot of the Giles interviews, and Jeff Slate just did a, a nice piece for Title with Giles stating that Apple said to Giles, we want a comprehensive live album. And actually, Giles nixed it. Now, I don't know if we should applaud him or beat him up. Well, our brief conversation with Jeff Jones way back uh, when one premiered, Jeff implied that, and well, didn't imply, said directly to me when I said, is Hollywood Bowl going to come out, was my question to him. I said, there are holy grails. Yeah. I said, is Hollywood Bowl coming out? And Jeff looked at me and said, well, you know, there's going to be a soundtrack for the movie, right? And I said, yeah. And he left that very vague. So by this well, time now... Does. No, of course. But this is now by the that's time that one out. is out. So that's last year. Right. But here's the thing. Though. Had it already gone over to the fact that, well, you know, the reason why I said there's going to be a soundtrack when I asked Hollywood Bowl was kind of it had already now become just limited to strictly to Hollywood Bowl. At that point, even last year... They'd abandon the idea of doing anything like a full-blown soundtrack soundtrack. It really does bother me that they let Giles make that decision because... If they let, right. Well, if they let him, right. Well, they had to because Giles says, quite frankly, I just didn't feel the, all the live stuff I was working on for four years was up to snuff. He said that when you watch the Beatles, you're focusing on the visual and hearing the audio, but when you hear it without that visual, it's not as good as you remember. That's kind of incredible, because all these years of listening to bootlegs, I never realized that I wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> Very good. No, you know, you're one, right. One of us had to say it, Alan. Yes. And it I was, was going to be you or me. I was hoping you would, Alan, so we don't, we're not the bad guys. No. Um, no, but, no, but you're right, Alan. Send your cards and letters to Alan. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, I, I don't agree with him. And you know what? He said in many interviews, I care about the music, not the history. 
And, and okay, yeah. that that's nice, but he should care about. Someone should be caring about but the history. It, but you, well, but he does care about the history in a certain sense. I think you know. I mean, not to be an armchair psychologist here, but I think the fact that he decided to reproduce the 1977 sequence without even weaving in the bonus tracks and preserving all of his father's edits and choices, even though he's using completely different source material, kind of suggests to me that there's sort of a filial loyalty going on there. Plus, he's adopted his father's, let's say, historical attitude about the quality of live material. So, I mean, he's interested in history in a certain way, right? Well, I was going to say that... I thought it was just the opposite when they were doing Love, because it seemed that Giles wanted to do the whole catalog, not the whole catalog, but every song, like, majorly redoing it, and that that his father was there saying, okay, we'll do the first verse, and then we really won't touch the rest of the song. I think what he was trying to do there was his father's mono mixes in stereo. Well, that was Beatles 1. I'm talking about the Love soundtrack. Where, oh, sorry, Love, right. Okay, where, well, Love was a different thing. Yeah, I, mean, well, love... I remember reading that it took Giles six weeks to do the Strawberry Fields montage. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, I'm sure his dad's saying, well, geez, we've recorded it in less than six weeks. <laughs> and by the way, in the new version of Love, he replaced it with a, a completely new mix. <laughs> Did I mean, it, really? doesn't, it no longer begins with the acoustic demo. Oh, wow. It, we it, haven't heard it. it so we, Well, you're not going to hear it. It's in the show. Well, we haven't seen the show. Okay. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Mitch has seen the show. I've seen the yeah. show, but not the revamped show. But, you know, it's, it's really funny because two thoughts come to mind. In the talk that we just had with Charles, he did say something kind of maybe revealing in a way. Because you're talking about love, which is one of the first projects that he did. And it's the idea that he referred to himself back then as being a young upstart. Yeah. And now he's an old guy. Yeah. And it's very funny because the young upstart went and disrupted daddy's work. And, and daddy had and to pull him back. Daddy had to rein him back. But now the old geezer, I'm teasing Giles if you're like, listening. What, 40? It was 40. He's young, younger than us. But Giles is now kind of settling in. So it may be a psychological thing of just, you know what, I'm not shaking the tree anymore. Yeah. And it's not that he drank the Kool-Aid, but what's bothersome is that if you look at the current generation of kids out there, and wait for the beep, folks, they don't give a sh- about sound quality. They really right. just don't. I mean, they're out there watching all kinds of crap on YouTube and they're in it for the balls of the music. The kids that are digging, really digging music and digging older music and trying to find some of the, the balls that are in older recordings and older music, they're watching and listening to stuff. And I'm not saying that we should drop to the lowest common denominator and put it all out on 128 MP3s. <laughs> no way. But where I'm going is that if you do have a chance to put out a Beatles compilation of live recordings that have so much gusto in them and so much chops, and my God, I mean, look at what they did. What bothers me now is, okay, well, that wasn't good enough now, but it was good enough for two or three discs worth of anthology where we were getting live stuff thrown in here and there. That was okay. 
Yeah, you know, know, I mean, I don't think I would want a compilation. I mean, if it were the actual film soundtrack, not the let's pretend this album is a film soundtrack that the current Hollywood Bowl album is, you know, going by the cover. Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay, fine. Then, you know, then spanning the years, going across, fine. But I think that it is 2016. I I don't know if the rest of you have noticed, but um, (laughs) it's almost 5777. And... A little in joke there. For, <laughs> I'm, uh, I keep writing fifty-seven, seventy-six on my checks. Yeah. So uh, you know, and in 1977, and this is another point I made in the journal thing. In 1977, when when George Martin put out and EMI put out the first Hollywood Bowl album, okay. It was a compilation of three different shows and at least had a running order that was like some fantasy Beatles concert. It began with Twist and Shout. It ended with Long Tall Sally. There was some effort to make it kind of coherent. I mean, if you forget about the juxtapositions of She Loves You and, and Help and them saying that both the Help album and the Hard Day's Night album were out this year you know, right. or, or yeah. our most recent album, whatever. But... Um, you know, forgetting that stuff, at least it was an attempt to have a show. And in 1977, that was kind of acceptable because everybody and his brother were not putting out archival material. But now, you know, if you're a Miles Davis fan, there were several old Miles Davis albums that were cobbled together from, say, a week's worth of shows to be a double LP. Well, now Sony Legacy has put out all those shows complete from which the double LP was made. Sure. And we know what's going on with Dylan and so many other groups from the 60s, the Airplane, Big Brother and the Holding Company, you know, not to mention the Grateful Dead, which has, you know, more shows than you could possibly listen to in a lifetime out there officially. <laughs> yep. uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's not acceptable in 2016 from my point of view to put out a kind of composite jumping through different years and presenting it as the Beatles at the Hollywood Bowl, especially when there are now good quality stereo bootlegs of all three shows. Right. Absolutely. The August 29th show, as we know, has problems. You know, Paul and George's mic that they shared was not in the soundboard for the first three songs. Paul was complaining about his amp later in the show. But still, the August 30th show is fine. And a lot of the 29th show is fine. So, I mean, I could accept a compilation of the 29th and 30th. So you have one set list from two consecutive nights if they wanted to jump back and forth there. But, you know, partly because Giles is saying that the material wasn't up to snuff, Apple is accepting that. And apparently on Wednesday night in L.A., Jeff Jones was at a screening of... um, Eight days a week. I'm trying to think of some <laughs> song that the Beatles didn't play live. That is the title of their live movie. Um, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, and and he, I guess, was taking questions, and someone must have asked why not the full shows. And he apparently actually referred to my Wall Street Journal review where I made this case that you know they should be the full shows, and said, but you know, the material was damaged and. In some of the recordings, which is a little disingenuous because it's not 
so damaged that you could not put together a 65 set. But apparently, I mean, I, I asked someone what he said, yep. and the person quoted him is saying, well, basically, this is why God invented bootlegs. <laughs> wow. wow. So it's kind of funny because in a way, like the end of my Wall Street Journal review was what Apple seems to be telling us is that if we want to hear a Beatles show presented properly, we have to troll the bootleg market. And I was being kind of sarcastic, but now it turns out that this is exactly what Apple is telling us. Well, you know what, Alan? Quite honestly, two things here. Maybe Apple is the source of all the bootlegs. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I know. And the other thing is Jeff Jones... Before he worked at <laughs> Apple, worked where? Sony, Sony Legacy. Legacy. Doing right. spectacular archival stuff. Exactly. Yes. Which is the reason he yeah. was hired pretty much for Apple. On that note, we're going to take yeah. a little break, and we are going to go from 1977 all the way into 2016 and rip, I mean, discuss uh, live at the Hollywood Bowl with our special guest, Alan Cozen. We'll be right back. Hi, folks. This is Tony from Fab Four Free For All. As Mitch has mentioned several times, the cast of Fab Four Free For All do not profit in any way doing these shows for all of you. In fact, we actually lose money because of studio time and other production expenses. Now, we have looked into show sponsors, but for a number of reasons, we've decided it would be in the best interest of all of us, including you, our listeners, not to have sponsored ads in our shows. So, what we've done is set up a Patreon account. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform that allows artists to obtain funding from patrons on a recurring basis. Now, it can be as little or as much as you think you can send to us for the work that we put into providing quality Fab Four free-for-all shows. Now, we know that we have thousands of worldwide listeners, and if each of you just contributed a dollar a month, that's just 25 cents per episode, we would have enough to retire and not have to do these shows. <laughs> Sorry. Seriously, though, we've gotten some great feedback from everyone about how much these shows mean to you, and we feel the same way. But it would be nice if we could break even in terms of costs so that we can continue to bring these shows to you in a timely fashion. Yeah, I know, we can be delayed every once in a while, but that's because, as John Lennon so beautifully said, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. But we do vow to make every effort to have a quality show to you every week. We only ask that everyone go and visit Patreon.com to at least check out what it's all about and to see if you can contribute a little something in return for all the hard work and effort that we put into these shows for you. Just do a search for Fab Four Free For All and tell us that you give a buck about what we do. Thanks to all of you for being such great loyal listeners. And we're back talking about Live at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, I can't even say the Beatles live at the Hollywood Bowl because it's not what it's called. Nice, but nice. It's, it's not. Anyway, we are back with our special guest, Alan Cozen, and uh, joining me are Rob and Tony, and I'm Mitch Axelrod, your moderator. And we're going to get back into uh, the, the discussion, but let's get back into uh, 2016 well, now. I, 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 yeah, we'll I, go back in the past just once. Well, I, I wanted to <laughs> Thanks, ask, John. when was the decision made to make Hollywood Bowl a release? Because for years it's been... 
you know, thought of, oh, it's you know, it's not good performances. If I'm or not mistaken, cheering. I think I don't know exactly when they said, okay, it, let's use what we it, have. It which, was, I think, and I, Alan again, stop me, but I think it was coming off the heels of 1976 as essentially being Year of the Beatles. Oh no, I'm talking no, about now. I mean, I'm talking about now. now. Oh now? now, yeah. I, I you know, I think the, it was because the it was because the live stuff was not good enough deemed by Giles. So right. they said they had the Hollywood Bowl. It had already That's, been out. Yep. It had already met approval, which is really, really, Another, really important. Well, they didn't approve it in 77 until afterwards. But they, right, but, but it was but, the, the running order. Everything was approved and here by it Beatles is, and George Martin. 30, whatever it is, 39 years later, and here it is where it's kind of like you go with the devil that you know or you try for the devil you don't know. You, Hollywood Bowl's already been out. The public right. has accepted it as being part of the Beatles catalog. They've been arguing that they want it so why should if Giles has already said the other stuff is quote unacceptable why bang your head against the wall maybe the other people should listen to it you know uh, well, you, there is there, that. There's some good stuff out there. We know but, that. But, you know, we were just talking before we came back from the break about the idea of why not uh, like a beat the boots box. The, the doors did it. Zappa did it. Never mind like all the legitimate taking the stuff and dramatically remixing and contributing to what I said earlier about the kids wanting to just hear it. You know, when the Doors went through their resurgence, what did they do? They took all the vinyl bootlegs and they put together like an eight disc box set of, you want them? Here, we may as well make the money off them. They just took the boots, repressed them, and put them out. The Zappa did? did the same I know thing. Zappa did. I don't yeah, the, the doors, doors did a beat the boots box also. I don't remember that. And it, it's just the idea of look, here are the bootlegs just the way they were. Here's the same artwork. We don't have to do a bloody thing. I know there was some quarter inch tra- and, quarter track tapes they found. Yeah. I yeah. know that. But, but anyway. So. Anyway, you know, let's get to 2016. Um, yeah. Thank you, Wayne and Garth. Sorry. Uh, party on. So now, regardless of how we feel about it, they are putting this album out. They are tying it into the Ron Howard film. I do not at all buy the whole discussion of that Giles said about keeping the integrity of the album because they shot their load as soon as they changed the cover to me. Now, yeah. the cover is obviously tying into the movie, uh, which will be dead in two months after it's released. And I don't mean that as a negative. It's going to be put on Blu-ray and all that. They've already said that. So in a year from now, no one's going to remember that this was tied into a movie. And unfortunately, that's going to hurt it. But... They used a picture of the Beatles on an airplane in Seattle or Tacoma Airport in Seattle, I believe. Bob bonus picture. It ties into the movie poster. But in fairness, though, we're kind of saying that any soundtrack album is going to die and not have legs, which isn't necessarily true. It's not true, but I'm talking about if you look at this cover. Yes. I, I, it's not a standalone image. Right. That's And but, I get but that. But you know what? And it should have been. Except yeah. for the part Absolutely. where it says a Ron Howard film, eight days a week, the touring years. If they were to take that out, I really like the cover. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah, I, I kind of like the 77 cover. I like I mean, the 77 cover, I like cover the Bruce too. Spicer cover that he did. I like did the Bruce Spicer cover that he did. But, little, Alan, I mean, you're looking at this. It's live at the Hollywood Bowl, and then... I know the Beatles is in the back, but Ron Howard's name is above the Beatles, and I'm sorry, he wasn't the fifth Beatle, although he might argue it now, but... But, but it's a small type. Yeah, but, but that's not the point. The point is, it says... 
the Beatles. It says live at the Hollywood Bowl. Right. There's no Hollywood Bowl, and there's no Beatles playing live. I'm yeah, sorry. There should be a. It's the Beatles waving at the Hollywood but you know Bowl. What? They're not this even is, waving. They're bored this, on the this, on the tarmac. It's the Beatles this picture board. is a very cool picture of the Beatles. They all. But it's have, not. Yes, it is. All dark no sunglasses. No one's also, doubting that. Yeah, but, but Rob, we're going to get that as the cover of the DVD. So Correct. Right. Why we don't we know that. The cover of this. No, well, we maybe are. the DVD yeah. will have the cover of the Hollywood Bowl on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks, it looks like the album is called Eight Days a Week or Live at the Hollywood Bowl that's, Eight Days a Week. That's, that's true. what it looks like I, the album I would take the, that part out. But, you know what? Yeah. And since we keep hearing, every time I complain about one of the releases, I keep hearing, well, this isn't for you. It's for the casual fan, right? Oh, so bullshit. the casual fan's going to say, oh, eight days a week. I love that song. I'm going to get this album. <laughs> it's not even on there. <laughs> good point. It's a good point. I mean, it's not even on there. You're, you were right before. I mean, the, the, the name of the movie is, I understand why they called it that, because of the mania, oh, eight days a week, you know. I'm sorry, but it should have been called, you know, right. uh, the right. Eye of the Hurricane. The, or right. just Beatles or, Live. Or, or the Beatles the Live. Original, I mean, that was the, the original, original idea. Yeah, anyway. Could Lewison have sued for that? For, no, sorry, he can't. No, book, no. book titles are, <laughs> sorry. are not protected. Anyway, so uh, Giles says he wants to keep the integrity of the original album. The cover, I think they just really botched. The packaging itself. And I'm, well, I'm, he doesn't do the packaging. I'm, I'm not no, talking no, no. about him. I'm Sorry. talking about in general. Someone made a comment on Facebook that it looks like a supermarket CD that you get for three bucks. You know what? Mm. I, I believe it. You know, you open it up and it's a gatefold. And on the left side is nothing but an apple. Do we need to know that they're on Apple? On the right side are the tickets, for those of you who haven't gotten it yet. And... Okay, but they could have put on the left side, instead of the Apple, the tickets, on the right side, a full picture of the Beatles playing. But they don't do that. And then you get the booklet, and the booklet hardly has any pictures of the Beatles playing any, I mean, either. And it, I, I they have a million that. pictures of the Beatles playing do you live. Think, do you think it was like the moon landing? Do you think really it didn't ever happen? The Beatles didn't actually <laughs> ever play live? And this is all just like they took studio recordings and they dubbed in like loud no, they, audiences. Because none of us really saw them. So anyway, putting that out there. Thank you. <laughs> wow, all you Neil Armstrong people. Um, Sorry. So the cover is horrible. The packaging is horrible. Anything else? Well, there we should say? have been more pictures of them playing. Yeah. I mean, the picture of them at the press conference where it's like literally from the you back don't see row, them. It's like, is that the Beatles? Is and well, it says help. And, and I know it was at the same time for the '65 press conference. I, but then you get a picture of the Beatles playing live in '65, and it also is from the back row. And George's back is to you because he's doing the solo for can everybody's I, trying to be my baby and it's like what are you doing can i throw something out there i have better pictures that i own the negatives too maybe it's a an idea of the right hand not knowing who the left hand was doing and maybe it's <laughs> the prompt the possibility <laughs> that's all right everybody was doing it's, everybody maybe it's it's the possibility that and i don't mean to be horrible but the booklet that booklet might have been in the works for the original concept of the, quote, soundtrack album, down to the friggin' cover and everything. I don't know. And maybe when Live at the Hollywood Bowl, because when did we hear the announcement? When did I we hear? That. I just asked that. Right, no, I'm just saying, right, you, you brought that up. When was it officially announced? Does I anybody think, remember think, when it came out to us that, think, oh, it's Hollywood Bowl? Wasn't it only... summer. Yeah, yeah I think just it was June or July, summer. right. So here's my question. Maybe that artwork was already in the pipeline. Line. Maybe that cover was already done, and that was the soundtrack that Jeff Jones commented to us on. Where there's going to be a soundtrack to the Beatles, but sometime between 
when a bunch of other people on that side of the building were working on artwork and the people on that side of the building were deciding what the hell was really going to be on the record and they gotten the rights to some photos and they decided what was going to be in there and, oh, this looks pretty, that when it became Hollywood Bowl, it was just kind of like, all right, you know what? Screw us having to redo the damn artwork. Here's the soundtrack to well, the movie. Having to redo the artwork, I mean, if they really, if, as, as you seem to be implying, didn't have a copy of the 1977 record to use the artwork from it, I could have loaned them mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, one thing I do give credit Maybe to. it was that bad. Who knows? You know, I knew we had it in a drawer somewhere. I, <laughs> one thing I do give credit to, they didn't have two phony concert tickets on the cover on the new version. At least they didn't have the inner sleeve with those pictures of the two girls on each side, uh, supposedly I screaming, know, which were from 1977. Li- but it doesn't matter. That still portrayed them live. But, yeah. but this that, is a picture of them in, on the, no, on the no, no, airplane tarmac. So what? They were dressed what? for a Bay City Rollers concert. Right, so right. what? Yeah. But the, the, picture, the pictures of the girls inside were from 76 or 77. Who cares? They were still taken at the Hollywood Bowl. That, that part's true. Right. Uh, That's and, better than and, Tacoma. And, and they Airport. did have some nice pictures of memorabilia in the oh, original yes. one. So yeah, I give them that. I, you know, I could see how, you know, obviously they want to use this as a promotional tie-in for the film. And one day, at some record company, someone will invent a little sticker that you could stick on the shrink wrap. It's on this. <laughs> it's on it this. Is. It actually is, even though, I mean, that is fundamentally the job of a sticker. The, the album cover shouldn't be so short-sightedly limited to something that really has very little to do with the album itself. You don't want to know what the sticker says, and it's actually not correct. It says, it says screw you. <laughs> you it bought this anyway. It says from the, little on the sticker. It says from the upcoming film, Eight Arms to Hold You. <laughs> it says, the companion album to the Ron Howard film, Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years, remixed from the original multi-track featuring previously unreleased tracks. It's not the original multi-tracks. They found new tracks. Well, no, they found the, the track, the, oh, the three track the they found was the original. Right. Was yes. the original. Sticker's a liar. Well, so, let's complain about the reverb. Oh, here we go. Wait. Okay. It doesn't bother me as much. Now, now a what? What? A yeah, yeah, exactly. First, it didn't bother me the first time I heard it. The first time I heard the album, I, I thought, you know what? This sounds kind of exciting, and it, it's kind of a thrill to listen to. And when I started listening it, listening to it compared with the bootlegs, I mean, this, the '77 one was sort of lathered with reverb too. Yep. But it was much drier. A bit drier. A bit? It had a lot of reverb on it, too. You know, basically what I did when I was doing the review is I took the bootlegs of all three shows, stereo bootlegs, the best ones I could find, and because, you know, there are a gazillion Hollywood Bowl bootlegs, and the 77 one, and the new one, and put them all on my computer in a playlist so that I could go back and forth really easily and and compare things. Sounds like what I did last night, yeah. Yeah, and the 77 one does have a lot of reverb. Um, More on the intros, though, I think. Because on the intros, and, but also, um, well, but, but go ahead, because I, I think I know where Alan's going to go, and then there's another thought I had with that. Go ahead. And listening to the drier 
bootleg versions. I mean, I thought, okay, here's one reason I didn't complain about that in the review, apart from the fact that I only had 800 words and wanted to complain about other stuff. Um, (laughs) I kept putting it in and out of the review, and finally I thought, okay, you know what, I'm not crazy about the reverb here, but I can understand it as a philosophical production approach. What Giles and his father before him were obviously after was recreating some sense of what it was like to be at the Hollywood Bowl except actually hearing them. And in a live situation, you would get that kind of reverb just naturally from the surroundings. Although not to add the fact that the the Hollywood Bowl was indeed an outdoor Outdoor venue. venue. It was outdoor, but sound still bounces around. So, you know, I thought, okay, fine. You know, I I don't like this uh, that much. And I thought when I had it in the review, I had described it as heavy-handed and falsified atmosphere, but then I ended up taking it out. But, you know, as something to listen to, listening to the bootlegs where there's no reverb or very little reverb on them, and the voices just sound so much more natural to me. So much more natural. And I think part of the problem, too, Alan, is that upon doing some of this remixing and remastering, I think what's happened is that in in attempts to kind of, I don't know if it would be limiting or or whatever he was using in there, it's almost as though by trying to create a more exciting environment, by trying to add in the reverb, to me, no matter what, I find, especially trying to hear John, for instance, I'm struggling. There's so much ear fatigue on this new album because I'm struggling to hear the instruments that are getting buried. Anytime an instrument comes to the fore, there's reverb surrounding everything, and it kind of becomes this land of mush where the reverb comes up, the lead instrument moves up, and everything else gets subjugated I, to the back. I was going to say... Right, now it's going to be a two-on-two volleyball game yeah, here, because I disagree with you both. I, I, I sort of did, too. One thing I really... Don't sort of. If you're on my team, well, I am. you okay. have to disagree. Oh, yeah. Are we wearing swim trunks? I hope not. Beach volleyball, two-on-two. Oh, I just I, got a thought of I, that. <laughs> one thing I did like right about back. the sound was you, you heard Ringo's drums, and you hear also... These little guitar things in, in George's playing, which were totally oblivious or not there on the original mix. And so, yeah. on as, the original 77, yeah, on mix, the original they're, 77. They're in the, you can hear them in the bootleg. You can hear them in the bootlegs, and, and in the bootleg, you're not being dominated by Ringo's drums. I mean, they are there are times loud, on the but album. It's nice to hear it in the same it way. It is, but there are times on the album when it's the rhythm section and the vocals versus everybody else. Well, that might have been, been, it's the way partly it was recorded. Three but tracks. For the past 10 years, that's what Giles has done, though. Giles is in love with the bass and the drums. We know that yeah. for, for the Beatles 1, for the Beatles 1 Plus, for the love. He loves that. And you know what? The fact that you could actually extrapolate that now to be in this live thing. For me as a drummer, I love Ringo's always been underrated, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you listen to this live, you cannot tell me he's underrated, which is why when you see the movie, Alan, have you seen the movie yet? No. Okay. okay. When you see the movie, you see Ringo, and, and we know what Ringo was at Washington. I mean, my God, he was a dynamo that you couldn't stop, or Sweden for drop-in. So this sort of vindicates Ringo, even though he doesn't need it, uh, he is so underrated as a player. It vindicates the Beatles live, too, because, you know, the one thing the movie doesn't do, and you'll, you'll see this, Alan, the movie shows that, yes, there was a lot of mania going on, but it doesn't 
really show how good the Beatles were despite the mania. This album, though, shows how good the Beatles were. And I will but say But John this, was good, too. They were all good. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate to say John was yeah, really listen, good, too. Listen John's to All My Love, and he's still playing. doing the triplets. He's there, but you then, no, on that one, it. then you can't hear George at all. Well, you know... So I, it's kind of like every... You're never going to get a perfectly re- but, mixed, recorded But that's album. where I'm going, though, Mitch. If you listen to the dry recordings, if you listen to the blues, have, and yeah. you take away the reverb... It leaves you a little more room to sonically explore what's underneath. You you add in the reverb, and what starts to happen is it becomes the dominant, plus the fact that, not to mention, I don't care how much technical wizardry you have at your disposal, if you listen carefully to the bootlegs or the 77 versus the new one, especially the bootlegs, there's reverb on the audience now. So you've <laughs> taken a jet engine, and you've added reverb to it. Well, but, he, but, well, he but did also lower it a little bit. The audience has lowered a little bit bec- compared right. to 77 in many places, actually, much more but than you're, I But you're comparing it to 77, but don't forget, you're comparing it to a different master recording. It's I, brought down, quote unquote, but... A little bit. It's also, I would say, a different source, probably. I, when I first heard the album, and I was like, oh, wow, the sound is really off, and I got used to it, and then I, I was listening to the bootleg that has been floating around, and... I can understand where you're coming from, where it's a, it's a drier thing on the bootleg. I understand why there was uh, some reverb added, though, because it does sound a little flat sometimes. And then the other thing about what I thought of is the placement of the microphones between the three shows. And that's something I did notice, that some shows, like the 65 stuff, the first three songs sound really good. But the last three songs, which are from the 64 show, have a different placement, I think, of the microphones. Yes, they do. So to me, that's part of the problem, too, is where do they place the microphones? And this is something they've never done before at that time. So I think that is part of it, and that would be a problem trying to even everything out. That's just something I notice along the way, because Ringo's drums on the first three songs, that's what I'm like, whoa. Yeah, they beat the hell out of you. I was really shocked at how the difference of that sound, and then, especially boys, I'm listening to boys, I'm like, boy, that, where's that? all that little fills that George has, where'd right. that come from? I, I was right. very shocked But do that. you, I mean, like, Alan, having listened to, to A being them, am I right? I mean, are those sounds really there? And it could, because to me, listening to what I played last night, you know, I was hearing a lot of this, but I felt it was less of a strain to hear it. I feel yeah, like I, I'm... Uh, I'm f- I agree with you. I agree. I mean, I I didn't really compare levels of screaming on the bootlegs versus the new one, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I just found the experience of listening to the bootlegs actually just a, a lot more pleasing in in pretty much most ways. Uh, you know, Ringo wasn't quite as out there on the bootlegs, but Absolutely. you could hear him. You know, yeah, and, and you could hear George's fills. I mean, they were they were there. I mean, I think they were a little suppressed in the 77 one. Yeah. Well, all right, but, so you know um, what? Let's get to... I'm, we're not going to go track by track. There's no need to. But you know yeah. what? All four of us, give one or two tracks on this release, the 16, because I know we're killing it, but uh, sort of, uh, two on two here. And I'm not saying I love it, believe me, but there are some things I, I just... I can tell with. the one I don't like. I have yep. one more question about Hold this. Hold on. This is the most bootlegged show ever of the Beatles out of everything. Probably. This and the rooftop. And the rooftop. Is it because we know the bootleg so well that you're affected by yes. 
the version that's been released now. Yes, I always say and, ingrained and in the brain. Because the quality of the Hollywood Bowl bootlegs have always been good. Because yeah. they've come from acetates or they've someone snuck out a tape at or made a copy at, at Capitol or whatever. And you, you think about the quality of every time I've heard the Hollywood Bowl, no matter which one, it's always had high quality. And I was wondering if that maybe is affecting maybe how you, you're listening to it. Absolutely. Okay. There's just, no, just, yeah, there's just, no yeah. doubt. But I think it comes down to that idea that you, like you always say, you can't unhear something, you can't unlearn something. If this had come out and I had never heard a bootleg in my life, then again, the reality is had I never heard a bootleg in my life, I probably wouldn't be enough of a fan to be doing a weekly show. We wouldn't have you as our co-host. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, to, you know, to me, the boots are what kept the Beatles alive yeah, for me. Yeah, in many ways, yeah. But and not just the Beatles. And yeah. answer, I mean, Alan, I don't know what your thought is, but I think it's the same same feeling. I think having heard the bootleg, you can't help but have to do a comparison. Okay, just, yeah. I just... Yeah. I mean, my feeling has always been sort of that anybody who would invest in all of these bootlegs would just as happily buy it from Apple, even if we already have the bootlegs. It's just that, that, you know, the other part of the equation I had never really formulated until more recently is that, but we want what Apple puts out to be at least as good as the bootlegs, ideally better. Right. You know, right. and uh, I'm not sure they're holding up that part of the compact. Well, there's a lot of laziness going on, Alan. But yeah. it's I loved your idea. Mitch had an idea last night. You know, we were talking, obviously, off mic. But, you know, Mitch was saying, all right, so why the hell not, with, especially with all this Amazon deluxe version, Target deluxe versions, Best you buy. know what? Put out Hollywood Bowl, the album, as disc one. That's the official. That's what stands. That's what this is. And then for disc two, oh, by the way, guys, here's an unmixed, unadulterated, unchanged, here's one whole show. From 65. From 65. Knock yourself out. As, a, as, as, an, a, Amazon as an Amazon exclusive. exclusive. Do you know how many this would have this would because, have been number one in a minute? You, you, you don't have to worry about standards. What's going to happen is Mojo is going to is going to critique it in a month and say uh, original album six, bonus material nine. Right. You know, yeah. and and that's what you're going to get. And then what would have happened, of course, is that the Japanese version would have come out with the 64 show. Is <laughs> Setting up the usual situation where anytime any of them puts out anything, we have to buy at least eight copies. <laughs> exactly. So, right. you know what? Let's, let's talk about each one of us. Give one song that we really was, there was a revelation, and one song, maybe not. So, Alan, how about you start? Uh, I can't. Say there was anything that was a revelation. Um, if you read the notes, David Frick really is taken with and focuses on a lot of things we said today, and yeah. I kind of agree with him. I mean, that that is definitely a highlight. But the beginning um, doesn't even come in well with the no, original. No, it's, it's uh, my comment here is it's basically a drum kit and voices and screaming until the chorus starts. Mm. Yeah, but, um, but also no one knew that song. Yeah. It just come out. There's that I mean, I I don't know. I can't think of any of them that I really dislike. I okay. Mean, it's, uh, and Not even bonus tracks. Well, the bonus track. I just don't like where the bonus tracks are. Yeah, but you know? we'll get to that. And in a also, second. you know, okay, they do rush a bit through. I want to hold your hand, and she loves you. But that's just what it is. I mean, we're after a Beatles live recording. That's the way they played them live. You know, they were, I think, by then kind of losing interest in them and just wanted to get through them. 
yet they still have that kind of electricity, you know, even even going at the pace they're going. It's kind of exciting, I think. And like hearing all my love and live, I mean, like you say, John does the triplets, all the, all the stuff that's in that song, all the complications are, are there in the live version. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, Babies in Black is, a, you know, that's another special case because they're claiming that the four tracks were not released, but this was released on the anthology. Oh, no, I, no, it wasn't because... But I think they used the, the yes. other day's intro. Yes, yeah, so, so technically it's previously unreleased. Yeah, but no. Uh, but, <laughs> I get it. But then again, that's been out of print for a while, that Real Love EP, so... Right. That could be oh, the reason. Right. Okay, yeah. All but right, out so, of print isn't the same as unreleased. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. All right, Tony, how about you? Okay, the, oh, here we go. You guys, well, you guys are going to laugh at this, but always the, the two no the, the two things that I actually enjoy the most, and again, I'm the beginning I'm, and the end. I'm on record as saying I really didn't enjoy this release. So I'm, I'm you're on, on record, record now. That. Yeah, officially on record. I did not enjoy. Did this. you say Ron record? I'm I'm Ron record. It's no, Ron I, I look. I it doesn't stop me from loving anybody any less. You know, I'm Giles. Good, real. I still want to go and have a pint with him, and <laughs> I could still tell him I didn't like the release. But um, yeah, but you won't. But I will, and that's why you love me. But um, no, I don't. Truthfully, the two Beatles songs that I like least in their catalog. Are the two that I like most on the live album? Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Dizzy Miss Lizzie. <laughs> Dizzy Miss Lizzie is the only thing on this that made me go, "Wow, but hell, does, that's cool." Does John ever get the lyrics right? Never. That? He, always, he sings he them makes, differently he every just time. Makes his own shit up. You know, girl, I want you to make me coffee. I mean, it's, there's a different line every time he sings the bloody song. Because he can't remember. But anyway, hey, have you seen the Japanese EP release? No. Um, the one that you had to get it at the time because it had "I'm down in stereo." Oh, yeah, um, yeah, 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 I remember well, that. Well, it came with a lyric sheet, and the lyrics they give is, come on, give me baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get baby. <laughs> wow. That's, that is, all right, now we'll totally sidetrack. My favorite ever, ever <laughs> Japanese lyric, ever, Go ahead. was in the Ramones album. There's a Ramones album that starts with the lines, Gaba Gaba, we accept you, we accept you, one of us, the song Pinhead. And in the Japanese version of the Ramones album, you open up and the liner note said, Gaba Gaba, he's a weed, he's a weed, why fuss? <laughs> <laughs> Which is my all-time favorite. Anyway, She's a Woman and Dizzy Miss Lizzie were my two favorites. She's a Woman, George's guitar really pops in the guitar solo. They actually yeah. got really got... Uh, something really right there with the guitar solo in that. And Dizzy Miss Lizzie, you hear that George is constantly, constantly inverting and twisting the lead lines. He doesn't duplicate the lead line twice. I don't in, think he does on the studio song. track either. No, he doesn't. But it, And then when well, it goes into he, the guitar he, solos, the rhythm guitars are, are really, really loud. I realized when I reheard this that... This is probably the only version of the song Dizzy Miss Lizzie that I ever like. I don't like Which the song. was Hollywood Bowl. And it's also uh, the two versions. Yes. That's something there is the, yeah, it's the, the edit, edit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. which you try not really hard not to yeah. hear. As far as Kaka, I think that, <laughs> that All My Lovin' is such a disappointment because the damn song should jangle. And the oh. bootlegs jangle. Close your... That should come in... With a feeling of jangling, like it's got to have that punch you in the face. It doesn't on the new mix. Okay. It doesn't jangle at you at all. It sonically swishes. <laughs> There's an unnaturalness. During the choruses, the guitar balances get a little better. At the very, very end, everything sonically comes into focus. But through the whole song, 
It just sounds like it's it's swimming. And Rollover Beethoven is way too bass heavy, but at the time, Rollover Beethoven, I appreciate because it shows you that they were a punk band, really. Oh. And I just loathe the, this is our last song for tonight, uh, and, and then the friggin' bonus track. So that just haunts no, well, me well, off that's, in general. That's Rob. And then the other thing is, where the hell is If I Fell? We're going to talk about that. Well, you and I talked about that last night. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay. Um, Rob? Actually, I like the bonus tracks a lot. You Can't Do That sounds really strong. Considering they really didn't play that song live a lot. And what do you mean they didn't play that song they didn't. in they Australia? Only, but not very much. I mean, considering their career. The whole 64 yeah. tour. Really? <laughs> it was one of three tours, the big tours they did. They did <laughs> okay, well, I, I like their version either way. I want to hold your hand, I think. Fair. I like a lot also because John's guitars in tune, unlike on uh, <laughs> on the Ed Sullivan show where, it's, where he purposely did But, but it opens it. up. Alan, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've written a book on this, but it starts off, it sounds like they're not, like George is doing it, dun 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun dun that's not the way it's No, but I like, I like I like what they did with it, and I, um, I think it sounded really good. I forgot how good it sounded on the bootleg, and then well, hearing it here, I was very impressed with it. So and John that, doesn't remember the lyrics, I feel that something, feel yeah. that something. Yeah, but that I, was, I was impressed with either way. Um, I, I've always loved... The two intros for one for Hard Day's Night and one for Help, where John is just kind of goofing around. I always like that a lot. You know, la la la. And, you know, to me, you know, this is the album that really made me a Beatles fan. And they were having fun on stage, and, yeah. and they. I wish they had a couple of more but little. But Giles bits like talked that. about in our interview about leaving out intros because they slow the album down but right, yet but he leaves in lengthy silent gaps during the intros especially with and Paul cuts saying, the words nearly oh hang on you know, yeah, we're, yeah, getting yeah. It, we're getting it oh, right why do you and, you, and you leave cut, that in but to you show cut you out the intro well they voice? cut out they still left the the edit where paul says uh the end of a long tall sally yeah so, where there's a bad edit there oh, that, that, yeah where he says so it's like yeah, wait wait yeah. wait wait but that, that edit sounds better than the version from 77 the same as Going from help to all my loving, where there's a, like a thank you and then they continue it. That edits a lot better. So I, I think I was very happy with that. What do you dislike? Don't go through I, the whole I, album. I don't really dislike the album. I mean... There's they, not one track you thought, eh. No. Hey, <laughs> I once said Long Tall Sal, I think was the best version they ever did was on this album. So Ooh, I'm not sure about that, but... I've just been listening to Paul's bass, which he never played that up the fret like that again. All right, so Rob gives it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> I almost will. I might, no, I Alan feels will. at home. Alan feels at home. Sorry, Rob gives Alan. it a 10. But there should have been more bonus tracks. We all know that. Yes, all right. So for me, too. boys, just... Pst- jumps out at you and you realize that Ringo is a good singer on uh, live yes. he was singing really well he played really well yeah. they're using it to obviously push the album because they just released a video of it oh I did write down that I like that one I mean actually. boys uh, you like boys yes okay. I didn't <laughs> very nice okay but uh, anyway boys is just dynamic I mean Ringo's singing well you know Ringo and Paul were the favorites of the crowds in the beginning when they first came over sure. and Ringo for president was going on, and when he says singing a song called Boys Ringo, oh my God, you, you know, you have to turn the volume down because that's a genuine scream. Yeah. That's not like a, a raised by Yeah, Giles. I screamed when I was listening to it. Yeah, yeah. we all screamed we for all ice screamed. cream. Yeah. So it really was 
Sorry. <laughs> this is not good humor. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry. Ooh. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was the second oh, boy we got from Alan today. I feel vindicated. Al, Al Sussman said, too much, guys. Too much stick. <laughs> yeah, so, right now, somewhere Al Sussman is twitching. Has too, Alan much, too much stick. Too much uh, stick. Anyway, I don't care. Uh, we'll, we'll stick to it. No. So, anyway, I also, I like help. First of all, it's one of my favorite songs. He never gets the lyrics right, as we've always discussed. But in the what was supposed to be the third version of the acoustic part, when the crowd goes nuts, and we don't know why, and he laughs, he just has a giggle yeah, you know, when he's singing it. To me, I, I laugh with him, and that's yeah. it's fun. So those two, um, there's nothing I think is horrible. I wish they would have not done Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby and Dizzy Miss Lizzy, only because they had so much material still of their own that they could have done that. I know why they did it, but whatever. So, to end the show, I want to talk about the bonus tracks and what Tony brought up. And if we could also just throw in very quickly, Mitch, for people who are not familiar with live Beatles and the 64 performances, yep. your record has not stripped a gear, as they say in Magnolia Sims. Thank you, but, Mr. Monkey. But Twist and Shout is an abbreviated version. They always did a short version. So is as Ticket, Ticket to, Ride. to Ride. is also right, an yep. abbreviated version. So yeah, they, you're not sitting there going, it's, it's not did, an did edit. I miss something? It's is there an edit? Giles having fun with right, editing. Right, right. No, no, no. They, no, they, they did, did abbreviated versions of those two songs. Yet the Dizzy Miss Lizzy goes on for 331. Yes, and it what? does. Wait, yeah. you can't give me the full Ticket to Ride, but you play me the full t- Dizzy Miss Lizzy with yeah. made up lyrics. In the, well, yeah. I always thought Ticket to Ride was purposely done to be a three-minute song. And that's why they redid the chorus with the middle eight part. That's always the Are you so saying anyway. that they got it wrong in the studio version? No, Robert? no, they, I, they, they purposely did it, but then it. they said, well, we got to save 25 seconds here, so we'll shave just, it. Yeah. We'll yeah. shave, shave the last Yeah, the Beatles sets can't be more than 26 minutes or the world will end. end. Anyway. All right, so let's talk real quick about the bonus tracks. We've said they wanted to keep the integrity of the album, so they didn't drop in the other ones. We know why that it's... Not correct, but you know what? I wish there was more. They could have fit. It's 43 minutes. It could have fit another, you know, 37 minutes. Well, honestly. I think the reasoning is the vinyl's coming out, and a properly sounding vinyl... 60? No, it's about 45 to 50, and I think they wanted to match the vinyl. They didn't want to have... Oh, let's have an EP with the the vinyl or something like that. So they... Uh, that's then, what I then, think. Then instead of giving us the exclusive show for Best Buy, they should have given us an exclusive disc of bonus tracks. Uh, like Paul did for Cow Palace with Wings Over America, because you know what? Nice. I asked Jeff Jones in an email for Record Store Day, can you give us two more tracks from Hollywood Bowl on a 45 and you know make it limited edition and sell it for Record Store Day? And he wrote back, if we had two really good tracks, we would have put them on the album. Which is a lie. That's not true. That's a lie, because Tony said it last night, and we did. If I Fell is a perfect rendition. I don't think it's that perfect. I think it's a little fast, actually. And so is everything else on this album. But but that's more noticeable because it's a ballad. And it changes a little bit because of that. So I I can understand why that wasn't on there out of everything on the, the 64 show. It's not a bad version. I think it's just too fast. And it's electric guitars, not acoustics. Look, here's the thing. First of all, I can't see them making the decision based on the fact that there's going to be a vinyl issue. I mean, that's really the tail wagging the dog. I, I mean, absolutely. The, Wouldn't be the, the first time. The though. dog now is streaming. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but you know, they have never stopped themselves from making a particularly long. CD into a double vinyl album, and in any case, you know, 
Of the 64 and 65 set lists, there are only seven songs now missing. Three of those songs, Twist and Shout, Hard Day's Night, and Can't Buy Me Love, three of those songs were played at both 64 and 65. If you get argument about the casual fan, I kind of suspect that the casual fan can bear hearing those songs twice right. Yeah, um, right. for the sake of a, a complete set of each year. But the four remaining songs, you know, If I Fell, I Feel Fine, I Want to Be Your Man, what's the fourth? I'm Down? I'm Down, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that actually, that's kind of a big deal, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I'm Down, I thought that was a pretty wild performance. And I Want to Be Your Man, I don't know that I listened to both of the 65 I Want to Be Your Mans, and Ringo's a little out of tune, you know. I can see their issue about that, but that's if you absolutely insist that everything has to be perfection. But live is not perfection, that's especially right. then. You know, yeah, if you want perfection apart from what actually happened in a live show, then you're kind of stuck. But if you realize it's a live show, treat it as a live show, put it out and say, hey, these were the conditions these guys are playing under. So you have one song where someone's out of tune and he's playing yeah. Come on, it's not right. a big deal. Right, and and but you would have the kids just going, you know, oh my God, like, why didn't they just auto-tune him? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry. Well, I bet they would try. I bet they tried. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, they all went, Ringo, can you sing in tune? <laughs> uh, can you see them in the studio? Can we run an auto-tuner on that channel, on that track? On just anyway. him. Just anyway. <laughs> all right, so you know what? Let's wrap up by, well, we always... Rate a record here, Dick Clark. Alan, if you had to rate this record on its own, forget about 77, forget about all the Dutch imports, on its own, go. If you give it a 10 and we're hanging up on you, I'm telling you right now. What do you mean you don't I mean, know? Okay, it's the Beatles, so I mean, I mean that's that good, aspect of you know, that's you know, a good what is an automatic well, 10, right? We'll group but, well, it's not an automatic 10. By it being the Beatles, yeah, of course, it's the zenith of Western Civ, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> you've, just, you've just given us the title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, my rating can only be in, in terms of comparison with not the 77 one, but the bootlegs, because... Those are sort of as it should be, and all the points that I would take off come from the fact that it isn't as it should be. If I wasn't aware of those and just got this as like the first live Beatles thing I ever heard, I'd probably be thrilled. Yeah. It's just that I don't think it was done the way it should be done. All right, so give it a number. Don't worry, Jeff Jones is not going to hear this. I'm sending it to him later. Me too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, He's already killed Alan in, you know, in person. Yeah, right. Let's say six. Okay, Rob. Wow, that little? Rob, just go. I would have given it a ten, but I'm, I'm pulling back wow. and making it a nine because I don't like what they did with the bonus tracks placing it at the end, and I really think they should have expanded it more songs that they could have put on. I feel fine should have been on here. I'll go with you on If I Fell just because... It's not bad. Because you're conformist. No, no, I just don't think it's that good, but I, I would put it on there because it's not bad. But I feel fine belongs on there, you know, and there's a couple others too. So I will give it a nine. It is still one of my favorite Beatle records only because they do talk a lot, and okay. I like that. And Tony? I'm going to go with about like a six and a half. What? Um, you're giving it I half? Think, Come on. Six. Yeah, I think six and a half. I think... Um, 
I would give it a six other than the fact that I think that some of it was just it had to be this way because yeah. you're giving in to technology certain types of modern standards that you think this needs to conform to. Got it. All right. So I'm going to go with that rather than debilitated any more than that. You gave Ringo the fourth four. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's also about opportunity lost. You know, I mean, Ringo the fourth... That you, there was no opportunity There was no there. opportunity lost there, man. You're going to get a four out of him, and that's, you know... He actually but, called it Ringo the fourth. Yeah, you know, you got a four out of me on Ringo the fourth, but yeah, you six and a half towards okay. seven, but six and a half. All right, and, and myself, I'm going to give it an eight. Opportunity lost, but as Alan said, you know, Zenith of Western Civilization, Beatles, uh, it's the bloody Beatles, shut up. I'm going to sort of agree with Paul there a little bit, because it is exciting no matter what. I mean, we're, we're killing it because we, that's what we do. We critique it. But if you throw it in your CD player, it still is exciting, even if it's background music or you're driving to it. So I agree. It still is exciting. So... Uh, on that note, you two on that are note, Beatle it, fans. Mitch I, and I, I are real Beatle yeah, fans. Yeah, and we're playing volleyball better than you. You, you <laughs> know what? Another thing to leave you with. Uh oh, uh -oh you're the Colombo because, now? Go ahead. Yeah, listen, you know, you were mentioning the conspiracy theory about the moon and stuff like that before. <laughs> yeah, that was Tony. Um, the four Beatles songs, not counting the three songs that were repeated, but the four songs that are not represented here at all from the 64 and 65 sets, yep. all begin with the letter I. I feel Ooh. fine if I so, fell. I'm down, I be your man, and I want to be your man. Wow. And coincidence? I, 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 I think, think so. not. I don't think so. I, I, I. I, wow. I think not. <laughs> on that note. That's got to be some Illuminati thing that we'll have to follow up on I'm later. Have to, yeah, Beatles don't have like the letter call I. Call the Shriners and ask what's going on. You know. Just to let you all know, I we gave the album a 7.375. That's what the album got collectively. And is that so, binary code for like, no, you know, it's just, and, and if you add that, I. we're going to go in with the letter I and we're going to mix this all up and we'll see what happens. And, On that know. note, I am going to wrap up <laughs> and say for Fab Four Free For All, I have been your moderator for today, Mitch Axelrod. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Joining me as they always do are- Is Rob Leonard. Is, I said are. And R Rob Leonard. Tony Chiguardo. And our special guest- Alan Cozen. Alan, he says that to Alan Cozen. How you doing? <laughs> well, thank you, Alan. Alan, we appreciate what's your you. uh, website or whatever to get oh, yeah. in contact with Oh, you. yeah. You can get in touch with me on Facebook, either at Alan Cozen or my alter ego, Alan Cozen Remixed. Uh, you, is it reverb now? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm no, having I Mitch Axelrod. a little bit. <laughs> I'm actually having mine called Mitch Axelrod Demix. What about what about uh, the drums? Yeah, exactly. Too much drums. He, be, he well he marches to the beat of his own drum. Cowbell. Uh, more cowbell. More cowbell. On that note, thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed us killing this album, and uh, you've got a lucky face. So we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. <laughs>